It started already, hasn't it? It's so funny. Uh, the me- I'm the media director here at Zion, and I'm the most analog preacher that there is. <laughs> Paper, pencil, this thing called a Bible formed out of a book, you know. So, yeah, anyway. Uh, so great to be here today. Happy 4th of July weekend. Amen. Uh, even though our independence began 2,000 years ago at the cross, because we know he whom the sun sets free is free. Y'all make it so easy to preach, right? Amen. It's so cool. When we did communion, I appreciate what Fiona did. I, I heard something. She asked us to break the bread before we took it. And I was listening, and did you hear the bread break all over the sanctuary? There's got to be, some of you prophetic people need to jump on that. There's got to be something right there, right? There's some breaking of things that went on this morning all over this house, right? Over your life. And I thought that was so cool that, I don't know, I just heard that and I thought, okay, God, that's kind of cool. Absolutely. Well, it is great to be here uh, and to get to share my one time a year. I guess I've become the 4th of July preacher. Uh, it's good to see at least one or two other staff members here this weekend. That's always nice. Amen. <laughs> Last year it was me and the whole staff was gone somewhere, you know, but it's so great to be here today. I, I want to take a minute and I have someone I want to honor. Uh, my, my mom and dad are up here from Florida and I just want to. I just want to honor Roger and Faye Roger Sr. And uh, wow, their, their, ch- their children have risen up and called them blessed. And their grandchildren are rising up and calling them blessed. And guess what? One day their great-grandchildren will rise up and call them blessed. Amen? So thanks, Mom and Dad, for coming all the way up from Florida just to hear me preach. Now they're actually up for the summer. They're not just here to see me. But anyway... I'm going to jump right in. If you've never heard me before, I'm an Old Testament guy. I love the Old Testament. The problem with preaching the Old Testament is that usually the introduction is much longer than the sermon, right? Because you have to kind of set the, 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 the standard, the pace, the background. You kind of, you got, you kind of got to establish what, where you are in the story, right? If we just jump in sometimes, you, I may be tracking one direction, and you may be tracking a totally different direction. Amen? So before we get into Nehemiah, which is one of my favorite books of the 39 books of the Old Testament, before we jump in and look at the prayer of Nehemiah, I want to just kind of set some background for you. Is that okay? Amen. Well, in the book of Proverbs, chapter 25, I love this little passage of Scripture in verse 2. It says, It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. And I read that as we begin this morning because I'm convinced, I've studied the Old Testament most of my adult life, I've studied the whole Bible, but really the Old Testament, love the old 39 books of the Bible, and I'm convinced that the Old Testament is simply the New Testament concealed. And the New Testament is simply the Old Testament revealed. I I don't believe there's a whole brand new message when you get to the 27 books of the New Testament. I believe it's just an unveiling of what God has planned from the very beginning. Amen? 
And so I want, we need to kind of, we need to kind of keep that lens in mind, right? So when we go to the Old Testament and we start reading about these people and these pictures and these types and these shadows and these events that are going on, there are many layers to the story. There are many layers of understanding. And one of them somewhere hidden in that Old Testament story is going to be a New Testament, or let me say it even stronger, a new covenant principle, to be revealed. Amen. Let me give you an example of this, right? Just so you don't think I'm crazy. You guys have heard of like Moses and the Exodus, right? Going out of Egypt and making your way to the promised land. And so in Exodus 12, there's something called a Passover lamb, right? God told Moses to take a lamb for every house, to kill the lamb, to apply the blood to the doorposts and to eat the lamb. And then the next morning, get ready because you're leaving Egypt, right? And so why, you know, he, he chose this animal called a lamb, right? And so if we fast forward to the New Testament and John the Baptist will be in the wilderness and he will be, begin to be ushering in the beginnings of what will become a New Testament or a new covenant, John sees Jesus coming up over a hill in the desert and he stops and he points to Jesus and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Oh, that, that, that's just enough to shout right there, right? See, he did not say, behold the Lamb of God who covers over your sin for a year until the next offering is made. He says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away, who removes the sin. And so... That lamb in Exodus 12, that Passover lamb is a picture to us of what Jesus would be in his redemptive work one day. Can, you, can everybody see that, right? Raise your hand if you can kind of track with me a little. I got half of you. That's good to know. Amen. Okay. That's enough to move on, right? And so there are 39 books in your Old Testament, and all of those kind of point to that same understanding. They're all going to picture Jesus. I could take the whole 30 minutes of this message, and we could just look at the 39 books, and we could find Jesus somewhere, right? But I, I want you, if you don't hear anything I say, I want you to hear this. When you go to the Old Testament, look for the lens. Look for Jesus in the lens. Look there somewhere, and he will be found. Amen? Now, I want to get into Ezra, Nehemiah. I want to get into Nehemiah, but uh, I heard the Lord say, why am I teaching Nehemiah today? Well, not because I just like it, but I actually heard the Lord. I was praying. Uh, Pastor Jim asked me several months ago. He said, hey, will you do Fourth of July weekend? Will you preach that Sunday? I said, sure. And I just went for like three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, and I just like nothing in the tank there. No, nothing, right? Nothing. And I'm like, I can get up and say something, but I don't want to just get up and say something to, to say something, right? I even, I think I even called Sean or one, or even one of the staff meetings. I said, now, I'm just not really getting something. So if you, if somebody else wants to preach, you know, it's okay, kind of deal. And they're like, oh no, you're preaching. <laughs> so that was like, okay, now I got to really kind of listen for the Lord here. And I heard, so I did. And I, I I'm driving, and I heard the Lord say. I want you to preach, I want you to teach from the book of Nehemiah. I was like, okay, I can do that. Cool, I love the book of Nehemiah. And I asked the Lord, I said, well, why do you want me to teach from the book of Nehemiah? And this is what I heard the Lord say. And y'all have to bear with me, so 
When I hear prophetically, I hear King James language. <laughs> I have tried to like move into like ESV or NIV, but I was I cut my teeth on these old school prophets that prophesied these and thou's and does. And so God still speaks to me. He whispers in kind of that King James language. And this is what I heard the Lord say. He said to me, he said this, I am restoring that which is to a greater and fuller glory. I was like, wow, okay. He said, I am restoring that which is to a greater and fuller glory. And then I understand why God said preach from Nehemiah, because Nehemiah is a restoration book. It's a restoring book, right? It's a story of restoration. And so it's important to understand, like, you have these books in the Old Testament after the, the Samuel's Kings and Chronicles, after the story of the kings and stuff. You have these books like Ezra and Nehemiah, and they're going to deal with Israel when they were in captivity, when they were exiled, when they were, felt like they, maybe God had abandoned them, right? And so even Ezra and Nehemiah, they're two, they're, they're two different books in your Bible, but they're actually just one story. Do you know that? So, so Ezra and Nehemiah, they're really about three things goes on in those two books right there. In Ezra, it's the restoration of the temple. The temple is actually restored and rebuilt since they went into captivity for the first time. And then Nehemiah's version of that, he comes along and he's going to restore the gates and the city wall. And that will then produce a restoration of the people, a revival of the people inside the city. Okay, can you kind of see that? So, when, so it's important to remember that, right? So when, so when we're talking about Ezra and Nehemiah, we're talking about a temple being restored and a city's walls being shored up. And its gates, which were on fire, its gates actually shored up and restored, okay? So if you can remember that, that'll help you as we get into our story a little bit. All right, let's see, where are we? So the question then becomes, why did the temple, the city, and the gates need to be restored, right? So as we're taking this kind of this 20,000-foot view of this book of the Bible, Ezra and Nehemiah, as we're looking at it, and I promise you we'll parachute into Nehemiah here in just a second. But give me a minute to lay some foundation for you, right? So, so at the end of the book of Kings, when we have a nice run of Kings, Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar is going to come in and bam, he's going to destroy the city of Jerusalem. He's going to destroy the temple. He's going to, cap, he's going to capture all the Israelites, and he's going to exile them, and things are going to be really, really bad, right? And so it's interesting that it is the Babylonian king that does this, because Babylon means what? Do you know? It means confusion. And so that Babylon is, comes from the root word, Babel, okay? And it comes originally from the Tower of Babel, where they were as one and in unity and they became confused. God confused them. Why do you say when, when a young baby or young infant is learning to talk, they say they're just babbling? Because they don't really make a whole lot of sense, right? You might catch one word in every five, you know, it's kind of like tongues before they get tongues, right? You're going to catch one word in every five to seven they say, right? And so confusion is the state... Boy, I really want to just jump ahead and get into some things, but I'm trying to just want to make sure you go with me on this journey. Confusion 
is the state that Israel is in. They are in captivity to confusion. Can I just say it this way? Before you came to know Jesus, if you're like me, you were in a world of confusion. The world is in half the state that it's in because it's in confusion. Right? And here's some great news. Jesus, the first thing Jesus does is he rebuilds the temple. The first thing that that Jesus did in my life is he rebuilt this temple. See, see. Oh, man. Nine rabbit trails and which one to follow. So, so did you know there are seven temples and dwelling places in your Bible, right? Seven temples, seven dwelling places. Let me just list them for you. The first one's pretty obvious. It's the garden, right? Adam kind of was the first prototype of the temple because God walked with him in the cool of the day, right? And so we know what happened to Adam. He kind of messed things up. He kind of messed the situation up. And so God's presence leaves... Right? That gardenistic state, that Edenistic state, God's presence leaves. And it's not until Moses delivers the children of Israel that we get our second temple, our second dwelling place. And that's what? That's the tabernacle of Moses, right? And Moses builds this cool tent and tabernacle. And it says the glory of God descends and comes down upon that tabernacle again. So that's number two, right? And then later in the story, David's going to come along and he's going to build a tent, He's going to invite everybody to come into the tent, and the glory of God descends again and comes upon that tent, right? Okay, are you with me? You you kind of tracking with me? All right, great. Then the fourth temple is this one in Ezra and Nehemiah. That's the fourth one that's rebuilt, right? And the glory of God will show up again. We'll see in our story. We won't get to it in this message. But if you read Ezra and Nehemiah, you'll see that the glory of God descends again. Right? So we've got Adam, the tabernacle of Moses. Oh, I skipped one. The, ta- the tent of David. I forgot about Solomon's temple. Oh, how could I forget that one? Solomon's temple, right? This incredible structure, this incredible edifice for the presence of the Lord. Then, Zerub- then Zerubbabel will come along in Ezra and he will build the fifth temple in the city of Jerusalem and God will descend again. And dwell amongst his people. Okay, so those are the five. Then the presence will leave, things will go dark for 400 years, and John 1 will begin to say, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And about verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh, and he tabernacled among them. So Jesus becomes the sixth temple, right? But we're still missing the seventh temple, aren't we? Right? Anybody know what that seventh temple is? Come on, turn to your neighbor and point to him. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit will descend again. The glory of God will come upon the earth. And let me quote old King Jimmy. Know ye not that you are the temple of the Holy Ghost? And that the Spirit of God dwells inside of you? I find it interesting. See, I want to catch a preacher. i got to be careful. I find it real interesting that for seven, the whole story of the Bible, God is trying to get here. 
And we want to preach going there. All those temples, whether it was Adam when he walked with him, whether it was Moses when he showed up on the Ark of the Covenant, whether it was David's tent, which was just a big party and they invited everybody in and the glory showed up, whether it's Solomon's temple made in all its glory and, and splendor, whether it's Zerubbabel and Ezra and his restoration temple, whether it, and finally God says, well, I'm just going to have to go down and walk among them myself, right? But even that wasn't good enough for God. God said, I just don't want to walk among them. I want to live inside of them. I want to make my dwelling place with them. Okay, that was just for free. That wasn't even in the notes. I'm sorry. No, I'm not sorry. That's good right there, right? I'm not sorry. That's good. God's been trying to get inside of you and live and dwell with you and have a hoot with you since the beginning of creation. Okay, haven't got to the sermon and half my time's gone. But it's, it's, it's good. Now, okay, where are we at here? Nehemiah. Three people in Ezra and Nehemiah you need to know. Zerubbabel, what a name. Zerubbabel. Turn to your neighbor and say Zerubbabel. You didn't know you were going to speak in tongues this morning, did you? Zerubbabel in Ezra chapters 1 through 6 will lead a group of people back to Jerusalem. They will rebuild the temple. Ezra will come in chapter 7 of the book of Ezra and he will reinstitute the law and he will build community. And then Nehemiah will come along and he will restore the wall and the gates. He will sure some things up and he will rebuild the community or the body will be restored. Amen? Okay, let's go to the next page. Now, Let's go to Nehemiah chapter 1. Let's just jump in here and look at some things, okay? Nehemiah chapter 1, and let's begin with verse 1. I bet they'll throw it up on the screen. Look at that. Awesome. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah. Now it happened in the month of Kislev. In the 20th year, I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hananiah, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The remnant there, in, the remnant there excuse me, is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So when we come to an Old Testament book, the first thing you need to understand that the key to understanding every book is over the front door. Okay? And Nehemiah is no exception. You know, I, I, back in the day when we still used keys in our front door of our house, we used to always think we were being really cool and secretive by hiding a key somewhere close to the front door, like we put it under that gnome statue or behind that rock or whatever, only where we knew it was, but, you know, everybody does that. It's not a secret, right? And the Bible's no exception. The key to every book of the Bible is over the front door. Usually within the first few verses, you're going to get a great key to how you can interpret that book. Nehemiah is no different. It begins in verse 1 by saying, the words of Nehemiah. That's very important. 
the words of Nehemiah. Why is that important? Well, I know a little bit about who Nehemiah is and what his name means, right? So Nehemiah's name means comforter, okay? His name means comforter, and he is a picture to us of the Holy Spirit. So these are the words of the Holy Spirit. See, see. We learn in chapter 2, he is the king's cup bearer. He's what holds the wine. Come on. I, I, I don't make these things up, right? It's already, I'm not, I'm not smart. It's already right there, right? And so Nehemiah is the words of the cupbearer, the words of the Holy Spirit to us. Let me just prove it. Let me, so Jesus himself said in John 14, he said, I love this. He says in verse 16, I will pray the Father and he shall give you another what? King James says, comforter that he may abide with you forever. The Holy Spirit is called the comforter. Nehemiah is called the comforter. He's also the cupbearer. He's the one that bears the wine and holds the wine. Uh, I'd love to spend more time. I could literally get bogged down in the details. Like I, I mean, I could tell you that Keslev is the ninth month of the year. There are nine fruits and gifts of the Spirit. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff we could just throw in here, but let's, let's move on, okay? So in verse 2, Nehemiah said, hey, guys, how are things back home? He asked his brother, and how are things in Jerusalem? You know, Ezra's rebuilt the temple. How are things? He doesn't get a very good report. He says in verse 3, it says, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and the gates are destroyed by fire. So many parallels here, so many things to talk about here. But so here we have a temple restored. Temple restored. And the Holy Spirit shows up and he says, What's the first thing the Holy Spirit does is he begins to work in our life? He's gonna find out how things are. He's gonna begin to shore up some gates. He's gonna begin to build walls around you. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Many of us find ourselves quite like the city of Jerusalem was in Nehemiah's day. The temple's been rebuilt. I'm, I'm saved. I'm a Christian. But man, oh, my life's a wreck. Am I the only one that's ever been in that place where you're like, you know, I, I know I'm a Christian, but my life's a wreck. Well, here's some good news. The comforter is here. The Holy Spirit is here to help. He's here to restore some things. He's here to build up some walls. He's here to sure the gates of your city up. Now, let me build a word picture and we'll jump into Nehemiah's prayer in the last seven, eight minutes here. So we have God's people who were in captivity to Babylon, confusion. The temple's been rebuilt. Sixty years after that, the city is in ruins, the walls are destroyed, and the gates are on fire. And this results in the prayer of Nehemiah. The first thing that Nehemiah does is he begins to pray. And this prayer is so intense and so incredible 
that it changes his very countenance, right? It, it changes Nehemiah to the point where the, the king, the very next day when Nehemiah's sitting there, have any of you guys ever like, you know, maybe you've ever experienced this or you've seen one who's really had an ugly cry, right? It doesn't, I haven't had it happen too often to me, but I've had it once or twice. Have you ever seen somebody right after an ugly cry? They look like they've been drugged through a knothole backwards. They look like they've been run, run through the wash and not rinsed, you know. Uh, the whole. So Nehemiah has had a real ugly cry. He's going to pray and be moved. It says he wept. Well, the only problem is he's the king's cupbearer. Okay? Now, y'all know what the cupbearer did for the king? He was the guy who would taste the wine before they gave it to the king to make sure it wasn't poisoned. And the last thing you want on your cupbearer is to see him look like he just had an ugly cry. Because <laughs> you're not going to taste that wine if the cupbearer looks that way. So the prayer of Nehemiah, his posture will move a pagan king to give him letters of authority. To go back to the city, not just any, see, not just in his own ability, but will give him letters of authority. See, Artaxerxes, the Persian king, will say, here are letters of authority so that you can have everything you need to rebuild your city. It's kind of cool to me that it was a great day in the Lord when I gave my heart to Jesus and I was born again and I realized Jesus died for me and wow, it was a life-changing moment. But then, the, then I got the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit entered into my life and I began to realize, wow, he didn't just die for me, he died as me. And, and all of a sudden I realized there's all these letters from the king called Romans and Corinthians. Y'all ain't going to help me preach. Come on now. Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians. There are letters of authority from the king to point out your identity in Christ. And it's the Holy Spirit that reveals it to you. Well, let's read the prayer and we'll close. Let's look at verse 5, chapter 1. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start, we'll read this prayer, circle this thing here and bring it home for you. Verse 5, and I said, listen to Nehemiah's prayer. O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Verse 6, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servants that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which have sinned against you. Even in, I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, the rules that you, are, that you commanded your servant Moses. Let's look at verse 8. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the people. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, 
From there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. So glad that the Holy Spirit saves us from scattering. I love that. Verse 10. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servants today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was the king's, I was the cupbearer of the king, to the king. Now this is an interesting prayer, right? And I started doing some research on the internet about other people's interpretation of this prayer. Um, and I found, wow, I'm, I, my interpretation is a lot different than other people, right? Um, but it's okay. We're going to kind of, let me just say it this way. I'm not saying theirs is wrong, but I know mine's right. <laughs> I know there, let's just say it another way, if that, this helps my live stream audience. There are many layers of interpretation to the Word of God, okay? Let me share one of them with you this morning, okay? The right one. Here we go. So, <laughs> now remember, okay? Remember all the foundation we laid. Are we living today under the Old Covenant or the New Covenant? The New Covenant. Is the Old Testament, the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed, correct? So, so let's look at Nehemiah. We have to look, and, and I would challenge you to do this with every prayer in the Old Covenant, okay? You have to look at it through the lens. It's not that they're bad prayers, but you have to look at them through the lens of the New Covenant or the New Testament, right? Right? Okay, so let's look at this. He begins really strong, okay? He begins by declaring the greatness of God and reminding God of covenant. Now, I don't think you can... There's no... I'm going to talk about three, three things that should be in every prayer that we have, right? And the first one is always a praise, and that's a great thing. It's, it, it's, you should always begin your prayer with a declaration of the goodness of God. I'm telling you, the more you declare a great big God, the smaller your big problem will become. See, you know, we're commanded to, he said, if you command this mountain, be removed, it'll be cast away to be gone. And so what we do as believers is we fall into the trap of old covenant praying. And we say, oh God, I know you can, but I don't know if you will. Oh, God, I know I'm a sinner and I know I'm a wretched person. But, oh, God, we go right into Old Covenant praying. Would you please move this mountain before me? Would you please, please move this mountain before me? And we, we just, it's like we're beating our head against the wall, right? What if we flipped it around and we stopped declaring God to God how big the mountain is and start declaring to the mountain how big our God is? We, if we would just, and so he, Nehemiah's going to start off great here. He's going to be like, oh God, you are incredible. You are steadfast. And oh, remember your covenant before us. But he's going to slip right into it, isn't he? He's going to begin, he, he's going to go on and in verse five, he's going to say, oh God, please God, open your eyes to our plight. Open your ears to our plight. Well, see, in the new covenant, we're to pray that our eyes and our ears would become open. 
to what God has already done because we're not waiting for God to do something. We're declaring what he's already done. Nehemiah announces, he says, we've sinned. We've not kept your commandment. And that there is sin in the camp. And this must be dealt with. And boy, I I got some friend preachers that love to jump on this one. They love to jump on sin and name sin. But here's the reality. Sin is sin. And and, and it is, I'll tell you, the fruit of sin will lead to death every time. But here's the deal. Jesus has dealt with sin at the cross. Okay, let me, let me give you some Bible for that. 2 Corinthians 5.21, 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he who knew no sin, God hath, has made to be sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, right? And you're, you're only going to believe the depths of your righteousness as you believe the depths of that he became sin. Hebrews 9.26, he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So what do we do about sin, right? I mean, I think that's a valid question. How do we pray right? Maybe we start, okay, I love this, by a prayer of praise, declaring the goodness and the greatness of God. And then we begin to petition God and remind God of, of what he's done. Oh, I thank you, Lord, that by your stripes I am healed, Lord. I thank you that your word says that you bore my iniquity on the the cross. I thank you, Lord, that your word says that he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. I know I, I may not feel like I'm one with you right now, but I praise and thank you. See, I choose to petition the word of God to God over my problem to him. And the reality of it is, is when we begin to petition God's word to him, he begins to proclaim some things back over you. Oh, you are altogether lovely. You are blessed and highly favored. Every place you step, my presence will be with. All you need is one other person, and I'm I'm right there with you. And so we take the prayer of like Nehemiah, and instead, we don't follow the old covenant pattern, but we use it to say, here's a, here's a prayer of praise, here's a prayer of petition, and here's a prayer of proclamation. I thank you, Lord, that you have put away my sin by the sacrifice of yourself. I thank you that it's not in my strength that I do this, but by what you have already done and the strength of the Holy Spirit working in my life. I thank you that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I thank you, you, Lord, that you have defeated every enemy that I will ever face. I'm going to proclaim. I'm going to praise. I'm going to petition. I'm going to proclaim. Now, the cool thing, let me wrap up. 35 minutes in. I'm going to wrap this up. So here we go. Let's summarize this, right? Over the next couple chapters in Nehemiah, if I don't do anything, I just want to stir your heart to read Nehemiah. So let me just kind of outline what's going to happen over the next 13 chapters, right? So in chapter 1, we have Nehemiah's prayer, and that's where he will, he will pray, and he will pray to the point where he is transformed, and a pagan king's heart will be moved to give him letters of authority to go and rebuild the city. 
And today we pray and it doesn't move God. It moves us to the point where we go to his word and find our letters of authority so that we can rebuild the city of our life. And then I love this in chapter 2. I love this so much to preach here. In chapter 2, Nehemiah, as soon as he shows up, it says he begins in the night season. Why does he do that? Because, so good. He starts in the night because it is a culture that realizes the night season is the beginning of the day. See in, our, see, in our Western mindset, our day begins when you open your eyes in the morning and the sun's out. But in an Eastern culture or a biblical culture, the, night begin, the day begins when the night starts. Well, even in your clock, when does the day begin? It begins at 12.01 a.m., right? I find it interesting that the first thing the Holy Spirit, I mean Nehemiah, the first thing he does is he goes on a three-day journey to examine the walls beginning at the beginning of the third actual day, the night. The first thing the Holy Spirit does in your life is he starts right from the beginning. He begins to work. And, he's, and if you allow him, he'll go on a three-day journey from the cross to the throne to show you what Jesus has done and how your walls can be built and your gates are shored up. Now, I'd love to take you and show you that all 12 gates point to Jesus. We don't have time for that. Maybe another time. But in chapters 3 through 6, so we have Nehemiah's prayer in chapter 1. In chapter 2, we have Nehemiah's preparation, him going around for three days into the wall. Then in chapters 3 through 6, we have Nehemiah's persistence. Because as soon as he starts to rebuild the wall, old Sanballat and Tobiah are going to show up. To say, this wall can't get rebuilt. This, what are you, these gates can't be fixed. Sanballat's name is, means sin, right? And Tobiah's name, Tobiah points to a form of false religion. That which sounds good. His name means Yah is good, but it's an abbreviated form of God. So first thing that will happen is religion and sin will pop up in your life and accuse you of being bad or try to deny your identity and who you are in Christ. And Nehemiah will deal with that problem and bring the people together. And it says in, in chapter 3 that they had a mind. They were transformed. They had a mind to work. And the wall was built up to half its height. Right? I love how are we really transformed? How are we really restored by the renewing, the transformation of our mind? That's, that's in the New Covenant, right? I love the Spanish Bible says, we are, that, that word Romans 12 in the Spanish Bible says, we are transformed by the renovation of your mind. By the restoration of your mind. See, what God is doing, your salvation was full and complete and instant and you received all of Jesus the moment you made him Lord of your life. Now the Holy Spirit wants to get in there and restore and renovate and rebuild and re remake the city into his image and into his likeness. So we'll see Nehemiah's persistence over the next three chapters. Then in chapter 7 through 10, we see Nehemiah's people. Then the next thing he does is he calls the census and he names the people. What does that have to do with us? Do you know what the Holy Spirit loves to do? He loves to name you, to call you out, to number you among his people, to write your name in his book. 
He loves to, to speak identity over you. Glory to God. And then the last thing we see is Nehemiah's passion. That is chapters 11 through 13. That's the dedication of the wall, the city rebuilt, and a community, a body of believers formed by allowing the Holy Spirit to work. Let me draw. I got one last nugget. I can't leave it. I've been trying to forget this one the whole sermon, and the Lord won't let me. So let's just go back 20,000 feet and let's look at your Bible one more time. So Ezra and Nehemiah are one book. The very next book in your Bible is Esther. And I love to preach Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther together as one story. Because Ezra is the rebuilding of the temple. That's my salvation. That's when I made Jesus Lord of my life. And the Holy Spirit came and dwelt among me, right? And then I love to preach Nehemiah as the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit in our life and how he works in our life to, 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 to build up our walls and our gates and our cities. And then we come to this little book called Esther. Esther. And what she got to do with the other two? Well, her name means star. Interesting. What is a star? A star is a body of light that is seated in a heavenly place. So after you are saved and born again, after the Holy Spirit begins to indwell you, you begin to understand that you are seated in heavenly places with him. And what does Esther do? Her whole nation faces destruction and she boldly approaches. Sounds like Paul speaking here. She boldly approaches the throne of grace and touches the top of the king's scepter, breaking the law. And the king says, whatever you want, you ask of it, and I will give you. So I love to preach Ezra's getting born again, Nehemiah's getting filled with the Spirit, and Esther is growing up into our maturity in Christ. We're, and all along the way, there are obstacles. All along the way, there's Haman trying to destroy Esther, and he builds these great gallows to hang Mordecai, who's a, who is the Holy Spirit in that story, if you just want that nugget. Uh, and, and, so, and so he thinks he's going to hang Mordecai, and they're going to hang all the Jews, and he gets hung on the very gallows he builds. Okay, I've went 42 minutes. It's long enough. I want to stir your heart this morning to dig into that Old Testament, to dig into Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. Such beautiful books. Such beautiful stories. Stories of restoration and redemption. See, your destiny is not exile. Your destiny is not in slavery to Babylon or confusion. Your destiny is the bride of the king, who is a star seated in heavenly places, who will lay hold of the top of the king's scepter and demand all that is her right as a believer in union with Christ. Stand to your feet. Let's, let's wrap this. Let's pray. So I'm going to, instead of, maybe instead of an atypical declaration or, or activation, I just want you to do this, Okay. Just, just as Pastor Jim says, put your hand on your heart, the one who needs prayer the most, right? And so just, I want you to just ask the Holy Spirit right now. Just take a minute. Ask the Holy Spirit, what are the gates in my life that need to be shored up 
See, the gates are the entryway into your city, right? The gates are where the, how, what comes in and out of your life is the gates. they got to pass through the gates. And so ask the Holy Spirit, say, just ask the Holy Spirit to, 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 to reveal to you the gates that need to be shored up. The things that are in your life that need to be restored, to need to be rebuilt. And then just begin to lean into the Holy Spirit right now. Father, I thank you right now that you're rebuilding gates right now. Just as I saw bread broken, heard bread breaking all over this sanctuary. Just like this. Thank you, Lord, that you're restoring gates right now. Thank you, Lord, that you've already done the work. You're restoring those gates right now. Thank you, Lord, that my destiny and my direction and my purpose is not tied to who I was and the things I did. My destiny and direction and purpose is tied to who I am in Jesus. Thank you for it right now. Come, come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, right now. Yes, just break those gates. Those, those, those things that are there hindering, remove them right now. Sure them up. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite the, the, the ministry team to come. Thank you so much. It's been a blessing. Love you guys. Have a good 4th of July weekend. God bless.